0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek, episode 124. I'm Andrew.
1: I'm Pennywise the Clown. (laughs) Uh.
0: (laughs) And that's dude, because dude. So today we are going to be talking about... Disney's streaming service plans, the change of directors for Star Wars Episode Nine, and It. So, starting us off with Disney streaming services, coming from ComicBook.com, Disney will need 32 million subscribers in order to break even with their plans for a streaming service
1: it sounds like they can do it i bet you they can do it i bet you they'll pull it off Uh,
0: so so what what this is based on is the fact that marvel has announced that they're going or not marvel disney has announced that they're going to pull marvel and star wars films from netflix and the 32 million dollars is 32 million subscribers is based on disney losing 500 million dollars in licensing fees based on these movies and mm-hmm. their other content they would be pulling from other streaming services. And in order to make up that revenue at $9 a month for a subscriber, the numbers they would need to pull in in order to make it up. USB has determined that $32 million is the, the necessary number. So USB does go on to say that this is at least, not immediately, but in the long run, a potentially achievable number for Disney. Yes, Having said that, it's a pretty high number considering Very. considering that Netflix has about 100 million subscribers and other streaming services have significantly less. So they talk about HBO Now has 3.5 million and CBS's collection of streaming platforms like All Access and Showtime have about 4 million combined years. Mm-hmm. So given the the numbers for Disney, but the fact that it is disney and they've got a pretty ridiculously loyal fan base yep the numbers are not completely insane but personally i think what's going to happen is that a few years after this streaming service starts we will see the marvel and star wars content back on other streaming sites i think they're going to realize they can make more money by licensing it than by keeping it internal
1: right they're going to miss those licensing fees because they're so huge yeah it's, it's certainly possible, but you but know. I think,
0: I think they're going to have high numbers on their person, on their own streaming service for all of their
1: quote unquote Disney vault. Right. Uh, they're kind of legacy content. Disney stuff. Yeah. The, the article doesn't really go into big detail with the their upcoming ESPN investment because they do have like the paragraphs at the end. Combined with Disney's big upcoming ESPN investment, the company is going to be putting a great deal of money up front to enter this market. It remains to be seen how long it will take to recoup that investment. So, right now, it's difficult to bet against disney because in the last seven years five years ten years they've been doing really 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 well they, they've had a good track record now this it does feel like a gamble but for whatever reason I, i'm in the position of not doubting disney on this kind of stuff
0: i'm not they, strictly in the business of doubting disney on this however i will say they are having some issues with espn
1: Well they definitely are
0: so they're not doing perfectly here But
1: I think the issues with ESPN are kind of like the upper management of ESPN and and it's not so much like Disney screwing ESPN up.
0: I mean, yes and no. Who directs who's on the upper management of ESPN?
1: Well, at this point, I don't know what Disney's influence is. And early this year, ESPN had like a huge layoff. They lost like a hundred something people. It was like, well, they they lost like like a giant massacre. It
0: was a massacre of on air talent is what it was.
1: Well, And reporter. Right. Yeah. And that was the other thing is, like, before they were getting, like, researchers and other people were getting laid off, but it was, like, a hundred, like, on-air reporters, on-air talent and, and research and stuff like that were getting. I remember it was because it was funny on Twitter because, like, the, <laughs> the talent be like, yep, I'm one of the fired ones. Bye-bye. Yeah. So I don't know where they're going to go with this, but it's still, like, a big ESPN still a big draw currently. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if Fox Sports has really been able to compete with them in numbers. I don't actually know what the numbers are. Yeah, I, I'd be curious ESPN to see.
0: I mean, it, it's it's been a long and well-known fact that for a long time, you know, ESPN has been the highest percentage cost of your cable bill. Yes. Now that per- that individual percentage is actually not over not overly high mm-hmm. because there's so much now cable content, but it is still by a fairly significant margin the highest percentage of cable costs, and with people cutting the cord, so to speak, mm-hmm. they've definitely taken a
1: hit. Yeah, and I'm one of them. I haven't had cable in a long time.
0: I haven't I haven't either. I, I actually cut cable, I think, about a month before you moved out.
1: Well, I remember that, because you had to, like, bring Kyle down easy about it, because he was the one who was really, like, into had, the sports package. Well, I had to wait till after the Super Bowl. That was the deal. <laughs> right.
0: Not that the Super Bowl's on ESPN, but because I didn't have any, at that point, I didn't even have broadcast television. Right. I promised Kyle I would w- at least wait till the after the Super Bowl. That was nice of you. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, we will see. Looking over this, it didn't look like it gave us a date on when this is going to launch, did it?
0: Uh, I have heard 2019. Okay. And that's based on when the deal with Netflix is up with a lot of the Disney Got it. content. Okay. The other part of this is Disney's not rushing into this. They're giving themselves time Mm -hmm. to get things right, which is something that Disney is known for. Yeah. One of the coolest things I've ever, like, articles I've read was about the development of Disney's Magic Bands Mm -hmm. and the multi-year process that they went through to develop this technology to actually make it work to their standards and, like, the warehouse that they had everything set up in to, like, just do trial runs on everything. It was really kind of cool. They have made really impressive use of our RFID technologies
1: mm-hmm. so we'll see yeah good luck let's see what happens because if this works out then just basically almost every household in america is going to have like with kids is going to have this
0: right it's one step closer to disney beaming shit into my brain oh yeah that's
1: coming the disney gonna buy the disney eyeball at the freaking best buy just put it put just take your eyeball out and put the disney eyeball in
0: instead of a normal uh, retina it's the fucking mouse ears exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's because one of them is the camera to look out so that corporate overlord can keep an eye on what you're doing.
1: Mm. (laughs) Oh, God, we're doomed. Big Mouse is watching. (laughs) Yep. All right, so let's do Star Wars. Oh, God. Speaking of Disney, let's do Star Wars. Uh, Once again, the guillotine of Lucasfilms has fallen onto the... Heck of another director. Uh, this time, Colin Trevorrow is out as Star Wars Episode Nine director. Uh, this is according to the Hollywood Reporter in the latest Helmer shakeup on a Lucasfilm title. Colin Trevorrow, who you may remember as the director of Jurassic World, the surprise mega hit of 2015, Jurassic World and this year's complete failure of the Book of Henry. And this was one of those things where the Book of Henry's, like, complete failure became kind of a point of contention with people who didn't want Trevorrow as the director. And I remember, this is, I'm going on memory, so don't, I, you know, I don't, I need a, a citation needed on this one, but I feel like there was chatter amongst Lucasfilms that, oh, you know, Book of Henry was already finished by the time they hired him as the director of Star Wars Episode Nine. They had already seen it. They were still comfortable with him. As director, but but this basically put everyone on notice that something might happen, and like the previous shakeups beforehand. So Hollywood Reporter quoting someone on the inside says, "Quote: Lucas Films and Colin Trevorrow have mutually chosen to part ways on Episode Nine. Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the development process, but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. We wish Colin." the best and will be sharing more information about the film soon and this was a statement from lucas films and basically uh without quoting the entire article it goes through the script issues and the i guess the personality clashes between trevorrow and kind of lucas films overlord kathleen kennedy and basically the i guess the gist of the article is that their working relationship just fell apart entirely and for those keeping track those keeping track count of the heads that have rolled so far with this new launch of the star wars franchise we've lost four directors depending on how you want to count it so you can count gareth edwards because of the giant reshoots of rogue one you can obviously count lord and miller for the han solo one which was like much more visible because they were fired like three weeks with filming left and you can kind of count josh trank who really this was his fault because of his like total and complete meltdown On Fantastic Four so it's there's different conditions for these to happen like Trank and Trevorrow's exit happens right before shooting starts Trank because the rumors and reputation of him being a lunatic had just gotten too much to bear
0: well and Trank because he just put out a fucking shitty movie.
1: Right. He put out a shitty movie, but also like the reports of his behavior on set were horrific. And then yeah. when that crappy movie came out, he basically tried to sync it on Twitter single-handedly. Yes. And so his his behavior had just become untenable. And whatever happened with Trevor was probably just creative differences leading up to it because the article says like they had just been rewriting and writing the script over and over again.
0: So part and- of part of me kind of wonders if this in part is due to the death of Carrie Fisher, because, so, obviously, episode eight, all of principal photography had been done. Yes. But they publicly acknowledged the fact that there were going to need to be some significant rewrites in episode nine because of the passing of Carrie Fisher. Right. So I'm wondering if just whatever direction they ended up needing to take the film, Trevor O had won, and Lucasfilm had a different idea, and they just they couldn't, they couldn't come to some
1: kind of agreement. Possibly. I certainly think when you say... Does this have something in part to do with the death of Carrie Fisher? I think that's a fair statement to say. It's really difficult at this stage to say how much that had an effect. True. Whether Carrie Fisher's death was the central focus of the of the problem with the rewrites uh, remains to be seen. but I
0: don't think Carrie Fisher was the direct the, the central problem so much as it was that's what drove a significant portion of the rewrites.
1: Pro- well, I mean, it probably definitely drove the initial rewrites. Now, when, when this basically says, to go back to one of the paragraph sources, tell how I reported that the script issues have continued to be a source spot throughout episode nine's development, with Trevorrow having repeated stabs at multiple drafts. In August, Jack Thorne, a British scribe who wrote the upcoming Julia Roberts, Jacob Tremblay movie, Wonder was tapped to work on the script. Sources say that the working relationship between Trevorrow and Lucasfilm's had Kathleen Kennedy became unmanageable. Kennedy, who had already been through one director firing replacement on the Han Solo spinoff movie, was not eager for a sequel and tried to avoid this decision. So, you know, we'll we'll see. I certainly agree with you that Carrie Fisher's death had definitely something to do with it, but to me, it seems like there had been multiple attempts at this and they could not just come to an agreement of where they wanted to go after her death. And we'll yeah. find out. We'll eventually find out. But it's interesting. I am of the opinion now that it seems to me that Kathleen Kennedy is definitely the overlord of Lucas Films. Well, I mean, George it's, has
0: significantly yeah. stepped away, which, yes. I mean, we all love George Lucas for giving us Star Wars and and the, the creative idea that it was to start with. But to be fair, and I think the prequel trilogy really emphasized this, George Lucas is a shitty writer. Yes, yes. Because pe- people forget that George Lucas, if you look at the, the, the actual credits for the original three Star Wars. Wars films, George Lucas I don't think he actually gets... He doesn't, Certainly, he does not get a solo screenplay credit. No, I think... If Larry I'm... Larry Kasdan right. and I think Gary Kurtzman, Gary Gary Kurtzman, um, also get screen screenplay credits.
1: Correct. Lucas only gets story credit, right. if I remember correctly.
0: So Lucas has got a great
1: imagination and great ideas. Mm-hmm. His dialogue is garbage. Yeah, execution's a problem there. There's yeah. a big problem there. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy's been like the super uber producer for many, many years, because she was Spielberg's producer, you know, going back to, you know, maybe Indiana, certainly Indiana Jones, maybe even Close Encounters. So she's been around a really long time. So she's been, you know, the the kind of big blockbuster producer, and now that she's the head of Lucasfilms, she has, like, all the power there, and she's wielding it. And to be fair to her, even though I'm not a big fan of these new Star Wars films, they've, they've paid dividends. They've returned. They have. You know, even with all the massive reshoots of Rogue One, which is usually the, like, glaring indicator that something has gone wrong and something will go wrong people looked right past it and rogue one was a big hit yeah so who's to say that you know these are the wrong decisions to make we won't know until we get han solo or episode nine until we see them
0: to be fair with han solo i'm actually kind of i actually kind of wish ron howard had been doing the whole thing
1: oh really I mr
0: Toast? i think ron howard would do the right tone for that
1: i guess I mean, look, compared to what we were hearing at the Han Solo spinoff, you, you might be right because word was the Han Solo spinoff was like highly improvised and lo- starting to look like a Jim Carrey film, uh, like a Ace Ventura type film. Right. So maybe in that respect, I can grant. But Ron Howard has been, to me, one of the most uninteresting American directors in the last 15 years. I mean, did you see In the Heart of the Sea? No. Holy bananas, that movie was bad. It was just terrible. So I- I'll, gr- I'll grant you this much, that because... Larry Kasdan wrote the script, and Ron Howard didn't have to like really do any extra work. Maybe the content of the film would be fine, but I think the directing will be obviously bland just based on. What I've seen with Howard, Ron Howard, maybe. Depend, again, he only did like three and a half weeks, and we don't know how many reshoots they've been doing on it. I, I also
0: think it depends on
1: on the actors he's working with. Yeah, I mean, it's a good cast on the Han Solo film,
0: right? And I think that I think I think that's where Ron Howard, other will live or die, is based on the cast.
1: Oh, I think you're not giving Ron Howard enough credit for how bland he is. But okay, I mean, yes, a good cast is important. I'll grant you that. And in the Heart of the Sea, Chris Hemsworth was officially terrible. I mean, please see it just for his, <clears throat> his his terrible Nantucket accent that gets mixed in with Thor every once in a while in the film. It's terrible. It's worth it's wor- seeing just for, for just for that. Okay, so that being said, it was funny. After I heard this news about Trevorrow getting fired, immediately amongst my friends, the discussion was, oh, Rain Johnson's gonna jump in and direct episode nine. I bet you it's gonna be Rain Johnson. And almost within a couple hours, like the same day. So the story on Star Wars firing Trevorrow or Lucasfilms firing Trevorrow broke, as far as I remember on September 5th, at least that's when this Hollywood Reporter article came out. Right. And deadline has Rain Johnson might return for Star Wars Episode Nine the same day, September fifth, three hours later. Like it's the wonderful thing about the internet is they timestamp them right. (laughs) Two hours and twenty minutes, you know, like so. So you can see the time (laughs) that it was posted. So it's like two hours later. Boom. Rain Johnson's going to be the next director. And you know what? Why not? If Kathleen Kennedy likes working with him, he's been a serviceable director. He's done a couple movies that I really like, and they don't have to deal with this kind of insanity of firing a director. They have a director they can control rather than, you know, really experimental young directors or inexperienced directors who aren't sure what they want to do or inexperienced young directors who whose heads have exploded because, you know, they did one indie film and now they direct Jurassic World and think they can do Star Wars any way they want. Okay. Okay, let's just see. I mean, look, we're going to find out how Rainn Johnson did in Star Wars in three months. Right. So we'll find out. We'll see. We will see. But I like Ryan Johnson, so you know what? G- give him two Star Wars films. There's no it's rule be- that says it's better you than- have to keep changing directors. It's better than
0: George coming back, which was yes. also a rumor.
1: Oh, God, I didn't see that one.
0: Uh, I saw it in a couple different places. It was like, oh, oh, don't do not do that. Don't, don't do, that. do that.
1: Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. On the topic of Ron Howard, I'm curious what you think about this, because I don't think Ron Howard's an interesting director at all. I don't think Lucas is an interesting director at all. However, in our earlier part of this conversation, we established that Lucas's writing is garbage, particularly dialogue would you be willing to sit through a a lucas directed star wars film if he didn't direct if he didn't write it do you think the fans would be okay with that
0: one i mean i've sat through a lot of them so yeah i think i think they'd be i think the fans would be particularly accepting of it
1: I mean, I agree with you. Like, just please keep him away from the franchise because you know they're probably going to have to fire him because he's going to want more creative control.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, the first, the original Star Wars isn't bad and Lucas directed that. And wrote it, right? Well, and again, that was one of the ones that he did, that he gets a story credit for, not a screenplay. Not play. a writing one? No. Okay. He gets screen pre- screenplay credits for the three prequels. Prequels.
1: Got it. Okay. It's
0: because people forgot that George Lucas couldn't write in the in the <laughs> interim. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: No, that's that's true. No, I thought he had, ri- had gotten a screenplay credit for the for first one. I know he didn't for the Empire and Jedi, I mean, he, but, okay. may have, he
0: may have gotten a screen a screenplay credit, but it wasn't entirely him. Like, it was no, a, it was so a co-credit. A par-
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a partner with him, which like, is smart.
0: I agree with you that Ron Howard hasn't done anything great lately.
1: I mean, the last thing you can say that he did impressive was The Beautiful Mind.
0: See, I would say Frost Nixon. I enjoyed that a lot. Alright. And I think the performances in that were good.
1: All right, at least according to IMDB, the writing credits for Star Wars A New Hope is George Lucas written by that's
0: all they got
1: okay so i still love a new hope i don't care
0: (laughs) right and again exit he directed it and it's actually not poorly directed not at all honestly i don't think even the prequels are poorly directed i think the writing is 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 crummy some of the performances are crummy especially natalie portman really phones in a few scenes yes i mean hayden christensen was just kind of questionable casting i think you know when it's swinging a lightsaber and doing that kind of stuff hayden christensen's fine (laughs) i think it's when he needs to be like an emotional character he gets one but.
1: Well, you know that's a good point because I think Ron Howard, as you said, you were like he lives and dies by his cast. He does work with actors pretty well. I believe Lucas is. There's stories of Lucas who just he barely directs his actors.
0: Oh like, no no just, yeah, you know? the infamous stage direction that he uh, the direction that he gives them is faster with more intensity.
1: <laughs> right, so there is that like his ability to work with actors notoriously
0: sucks yeah no george lucas is like doesn't really have any patience for the process of acting basically it's the like i wrote it just just do it it's right there on the paper you, that's how you do it that's how you do it yeah um well I mean, like ewan mcgregor was a great casting choice i love you yeah, yeah i like ewan
1: mcgregor too i think he's a good actor
0: but i, I but getting back to the directing i don't think he, the directing in terms of george lucas in the original three is that bad uh, aside from the heavy reliance on CG, swipe c- c- g- <laughs> well c- uh, well the swipe cut and cgi of course, yeah, yes. I think if he had chosen to do more practical effects and that, like everything wasn't on a green screen, I think it would have. I think it would have been better.
1: Yeah, and I agree. I just part of me, I just Lucas is a boring director, and that's the thing. Is just visually, he's not interesting. You got to give Abrams credit for at least the dynamics that that of his visuals there, there is some dynamicism to that and i don't know I think, if i
0: would have said boring i would say predictable
1: okay i mean I, I i will six one way half a dozen the other i mean
0: yeah i mean boring to me implies uninteresting mm. whereas i can i can sit back and enjoy star wars it's just i go yeah it's it's exactly what I thought it was going to be.
1: Well, I would say, I would say, I'm, I'm primarily thinking of those prequels.
0: No, that, that's what I'm talking about too. I can okay. sit back and say, yeah, that's, that's what I expected it to be. There was okay. nothing, there was nothing that, that stood out to me that impressed me, but nothing that made me go, fuck that. <laughs> At least <laughs> no, in terms I, of the it, direction, there was a lot of. No, there, there, there,
1: all right, that is true. There's, uh, unlike certain films, there is never a shot in a Lucas film where I go, what the hell was he thinking with this one?
0: Right, I was never, I was never physically offended by what my eyes beheld.
1: No, that's true. Like, that's why I just- that's why I used the word boring. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, let me tell you something. If there were shots in Star Wars, and you going going, what? what is this? At least that would be something interesting. Uh, let's let's move I, on. All right, moving on to It. We're, we're, yeah, we could beat up on Lucas. He's not even directing the film, and we're still beating up on him.
0: Let's. I, let's I also it. I also just watched Empire and Return of the Jedi last night, so that's part of them.
1: I got Star Wars on the brain. Oh, okay, no, fine. So, the big news this weekend is the movie It, and I had a the, conversation the, with a friend...
0: The horror juggernaut that this thing has turned into.
1: The monster... Horror film that this is is impressive. I had a conversation with a friend of mine before the movie was released, maybe just a couple days, and he was going, Dude, this is going to break every kind of record of horror films and the seasonal releases, you know, where it opens, you know, monthly release. And he was totally right. He's just totally right. right. Let's just quick number. According to the box office, Mojo, it is a estimated $117 million opening. Yeah. Breaking records for, and you could just like count them off. Quote, the film has claimed the largest summer opening, largest fall opening largest opening for an R-rated horror film not to mention the largest opening weekend for a horror film of any MPAA rating and completely crushed the number two film home again the reach for this room rom-com by almost 110 million I think it, it, it's estimated at like nine million right now I mean crushed everything everything below it from two on down is like in let's say single digit millions like nine four four three blah 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 and right. then you have it triple-digit millions I mean complete for a budget Thirty-five million.
0: Yeah. So, Boom. so right here in just the domestic opening weekend, this movie has made has basically made back everything. Yes. Because when you talk budget, realistically, if double the budget for mm. budget and promotions and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Or, or for a low budget like this, yes. Sometimes I, I've always just tacked on an extra twenty million just for like marketing, depending on if, if it, just as a rule of thumb. Well,
0: marketing, but also like in order for studios to break even, they basically need to make double their gross needs to be double the budget right because of ticket percentages and whatnot so already in the opening weekend this thing's already in the green
1: oh yeah big time in the green yeah like big in the green like now they're just rolling in it
0: yeah good 40 million in 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 the green
1: and that's just the opening weekend yeah now i haven't heard word of mouth on the film so i don't know i was one of the few people who who i encountered this weekend who had actually already seen it because i saw it on thursday so i was talking to people friday saturday and a lot of people see things like saturday night it's usually the big night it's like I hadn't really encountered anyone who had seen it yet, but I, I don't know what the word of mouth is, but if the word of mouth is good, they're going to have another big opener. Another, excuse me, another big weekend.
0: Yeah. I mean, everyone I've talked to, or I've seen on, on like social media, at least enjoyed the film. I, I have heard nothing bad about it.
1: Yeah, no one's screaming bloody murder about it. And next weekend's movies are like another horror film, Mother, and then American Assassins, and then Brad's status, some Ben Stiller film. So I'm just looking at IMDb, what's coming up. So nothing that's like, oh snack. You know, we gotta we gotta go see something next weekend. Like next weekend be like, you wanna see it? Okay. Right. And particularly because like what it, about the weekend after that's the twenty second. Uh the weekend after at least is Kingsman. And the Lego movie, the new the next Lego movie. So that could be there could be something there.
0: Yeah, although the Lego Movie like the the Lego movie and it don't have a whole lot of cross pollination in terms of markets.
1: No, they don't. What I'm talking about is just um in terms of just raw numbers you know families will probably come out and see the lego movie which will bump it up and there is some crossover between kings like who would want to see kingsman and who would want to see it and by that point i think everyone who three weeks out i think everyone who wanted to see it had seen it and they'll probably be looking at kingsman as the next kind of what's what's good to see
0: yeah possibly i mean i just think i think it make it'll have a good run mm-hmm. so long as there isn't a whole lot of kind of cross-pollination in terms of audience Mm -hmm. i I mean kingsman i think will be will do some do some damage there but if it weren't for kingsman i think this could run like four weeks four or maybe even five weeks depending on what's coming out yeah i think at number number one just because different audiences
1: yeah i have a feeling it'll be number one next weekend i i think it's a fair bet to say kingsman will probably be number one for the 22nd yeah Uh, but after that it's you know, it's just it's it's a September, so it's kind of this lull between the summer blockbusters and the fall Oscar bait movies. And but look, yeah, I mean, good on And they get into the them. Christmas, right? Christmas season. The kind of Christmassy blockbusters that that we get every now and again. Yeah, I mean, good on them. I mean, there was a lot of discussion leading up to this because there, you know, the hype was the hype was real. Like the marketing campaign was good. Yeah, it, I mean, see, it, it
0: was, in terms of marketing, silent. I don't didn't didn't really hit me much just because I'm not a, I'm really not much of a horror fan.
1: Right. So neither am I, but I. It, it did there was, like, these cool trailers where if you had your smartphone, it would put you in the store, and you could use the smartphone, as you moved your smartphone up and down or looked around, as if it was a point-of-view camera, you could, like, look in the store at stuff and interact with Like, there what? were some cool marketing campaigns with this. Right, but
0: some some of that stuff, you know, like, comes up based on, you know, cookies, like, what you've looked at on the internet and stuff, and sure. the stuff I look at just doesn't generate, typically right. generate horror films, unless it's, like, the middle of October, <laughs> when everything's a horror film
1: anyway, so it doesn't matter. Well, I'll tell you this much like a few of my friends saw it and they were telling people about it like yo go check this out this is freaking freaking sweet so it may have had I mean I'm sure marketing has some kind of effect who the hell knows but Oh, Either way, like the, the the hype was real for this one.
0: Well, I mean, marketing absolutely has an effect. Just look at look at your thoughts on how they changed before you saw Valerian. At first, you were like, right. "Oh, this looks stupid." Then you saw a cool looking trailer, and you're like, "No, I'm I'm game now."
1: I'm get, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, so now here's the real question: Did you actually see it?
0: No, I didn't. I have honestly, I have not seen a movie since the kid was born. Like gone out, gone out to the theater.
1: You got new dad syndrome. You're <laughs> just seeing everything at home.
0: I am. I mean, now now keep in mind, we're watching like a movie a night at home. Sure, but yeah, we haven't we haven't really left. That the house for no, I to actually, go see a movie I,
1: yeah i saw it on thursday just because my weekend was going to be packed so yep. I, I had to see it on thursday I'm, I'm getting back into doing shows so i had a show friday night and then i had a charity event saturday afternoon and then ufc 215 was last night so i wasn't going to have time to see it or i was going to s- you know see it at midnight one of those nights and i wasn't doing that right just not not with my current work schedule i'm waking up at the crack of dawn to be at meetings at 6 30 in the morning yep i understand that and it's a, i was like no i don't just every day so it's like uh, i'm not gonna be up at midnight watching a horror movie a two hour and 15 minute horror film with 30 minutes of trailers yeah that's a so, long that's a long horror film though it was a long it was long and the trailers like they packed in a lot of trailers too none of them memorable
0: yeah that's the thing i'm just i'm They're packed in up i'm just not much of a horror fan so this this really yeah. doesn't do anything for me like I, I still have never seen the original and i'm a, i'm actually a fairly big tim curry fan
1: yeah and here's the thing i had not seen the original i have not read the book i'm not a big stephen king fan I've, I've only really liked a few of his stories uh partially because like a lot of his books are gigantic and i just don't feel like investing the time in them Right, But I will say, as someone who came into it pretty much 100% cold, and 90% cold, is actually pretty effective for about two-thirds, three-quarters of the film's length. Oh, good. I would say it was effectively creepy. I liked the way it was shot. I thought it was humorous in parts that made sense. They dumped the kind of... I know you're a Tim Curry fan, but they did dump the campy humor. So the bits that I have seen of the original, the the Tim Curry humor is kind of cheesy, almost... Joker esque kind of like that's fine. I
0: mean, if if especially if if they're doing a different take on the film on it, then by all means do a different take. You know, like I don't again. I'm not that I'm not that big a Tim Curry fan that like everything he does is untouchable canon. You know. Sure,
1: sure. No, I, I thought the makeup on the Pennywise looked really good. Like so, the makeup and the and the special effects on Pennywise looked really nice. I thought the kids. I know, you know, people have problems with child actors. I thought child actors were pretty good. I thought there was this one kid, uh, the character Eddie. I guess his name is Jack Dylan Grazer. I thought he was great. I, yeah. I really liked watching. I really liked watching him on screen. Good. And the, the girl who played Bev was really good. One of the kids from Stranger Things is in it. Oh crap! What was his name? I can't remember that actor's name. I think it's Finn. Finn. That's him. Finn Wolfhard is is in it. I thought he was very good. I thought he was. And he was. He was kind of like the the uh, bro, you know, young bro comic relief character. Yeah. I thought he was pretty good. But what, what I will say, as as the film went on, even though they got rid of some of the corniness, it did not get rid of the or get got rid of the campiness. I should say, it didn't get rid of the kind of corniness of how they dispatched the monster. Yeah. So it kind of becomes a bit of a fairy tale type story, like you know. Kiss the girl and she wakes up and you can save her and fight the monster if you don't have fear. Kind of very Nightmare on Elm Street type thing. It got cliched at the end. It got it got horror cliched at the end, which kind of took me out of it a little bit. But there, like I said, it, overall it was serviceable enough to enjoy. And I think a lot of people like it was good enough, so they're not going to be too hard on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. and just let's see according to IMDb, the fans like it give it an 8.2 compared to a 6.8 of the 1990 television film and rotten tomatoes has got it at 89 86 nope excuse me 86 percent yeah so i mean look i was reading your article recently about how like rotten tomatoes like with the staff of 36 has just changed the way we think about movies it's like uh enough people like it let's go see it so i i look i recommend it go go check it out it's it's a fun watch all right and it's again you'll get your nostalgia because it's set in the 80s because it's two parts. There's like a part with the kids, and there's a part with the adults. So this movie is all the kids. It's all kids. There's no adults. None of them as adults in it. And it's all set in 1988. And the whole idea is that every 26 years, this It appears and like kills a bunch of people and d- abducts a bunch of people. Right. So they're going to come back 27, 30 years later and fight it. So there will be another it with an adult cast i'm certain there will be another it with an adult cast cuz it just made 117 freaking million dollars yeah so we'll see we, we will see it I wonder how quick it'll happen. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. All right. So, what else have you been into this week? I was trying to hunt, hunt down some comics, *The Death of Stalin* and *The Coldest City*, but uh, no luck. I haven't really been. I haven't made a concerted effort. And I picked up. I finally got rid of a bunch of my miniature games that I just wasn't using. Uh, I'm just trying to purge miniatures out of my collection. With The Warhammer stuff? Not the Warhammer stuff. I'm still having a hard time separating from that. Even oh, though like I, the, uh, the Flames Star of the War, Star Wars Armada. Yeah, Star Wars Armada. Star Star Wars, X-Wing miniatures, Star Trek Attack Wing that I just bought within the last couple of years. Oh, you got rid of the Armada stuff? I got rid of the Armada stuff. Uh, it's just I was just like, well, I got rid of like the base sets. I I kept the Star Destroyer and Calamari Cruiser because they look fucking good. That's fair. They look really good. <laughs> that's fair. I, guess they, I couldn't get rid of them. They look really good. I separated all their bits, kind of put them in a plastic bag, threw in a drawer, and then the Star Destroyer and Calamari Cruiser are on a shelf right now. That's just, I I, I couldn't. They just look really good. I still want to play that game.
0: I I, I mean, I understand, like, the issue, but it looked cool to me.
1: It does look cool, but you, here's the thing with a miniatures game. You just got to have either a dedicated friend who will play it with you. Right. Or you got to go to these game stores and play on their game nights and, and get into that community and i just i didn't have either i didn't have anyone who wanted to play drop that much coin on a miniatures game and i did not have the time nor the kind of how shall we say mental fortitude to jump in ju- jump into a community yeah. and start I've, playing
0: i've got a friend i might be able to to push into playing he already plays the yeah. he already plays the x-wing game
1: yeah which is i think a fun one to start with
0: i mean i've heard it's i've heard the x-wing x-wing is is a better one than armada but i just like the idea of big capital ships beating the crap at each other you and I
1: both totally both really like that totally totally but I've kind of given up on that dream and now it's just board games all day because I I can have a box and I can sit down with someone across the table who doesn't have to own anything and say here I'll teach you this right and uh, it just worked for me it just works that's where I'm at in my in my gaming evolution. And speaking of which, I picked up finally a copy of Star Wars Rebellion. I'm super pumped to get this one to the table. Yeah. Partially just to prove Baruch wrong, because he was like, Do you think that you know you can you spend you know a hundred dollars on a two-player game? And I was like, Yes, because I will actually get it to the table. Right. Unlike unlike uh, Twilight Imperium, you know, fourth edition now, this year, fourth edition, that's a three-player minimum game, a hundred and something dollars. I'll never get that to the table. I never got Game of Thrones the board game to the table because it was a minimum three player game
0: it's because I've, I've got a couple of friends who, who play that about once every three months just they get like a, a bunch of people together and do a, a game night with it with game of thrones or twilight Ga- imperium game of thrones
1: yeah if you get six people that you can play it right with regularly more power to you i had that thing was sitting on my shelf for like two years and only played it once I was like time to go yeah time to go. It's it, me, I'm like super about scalability, alright? If I can play it with two people, and it plays just as well as two as it does five, like the Conan game, then I will stick with you. I will, like, they just released another expansion to Conan, of the Stygians, and I'm like, oh, I gotta get this! But, that's that's really been about it. I mean, I'm trying to think, we already talked about Close Encounters already, so, last episode. So, there's really nothing new this week. I was gonna say,
0: serious. you know, with, with the Rebellion thing in mind, you know, you did in fact make us an unboxing video, but in
1: Impromptu. Yes, check out the unbox, the super impromptu unboxing. I will promise that I will make them neater and cleaner in the future. But like I was super excited. I was like, I'm gonna rip this thing open. I was like, wait a minute, let's make this an event. And then my cat decided to join me.
0: Yeah, I mean Spider has been sleeping here all morning while I've been recording podcasts.
1: <laughs> Perfect podcat podcat that's a good one i like that podcat we have a podcat and an unboxing cat there you go uh, let's yourself?
0: see so i got a bit of a, of a star wars kick and a documentary kick mm. i re-watched chaos on the bridge which is the, the star trek documentary about the behind the scenes and making of the first couple seasons of star uh, star trek next generation which mm. if you haven't watched it there was some crazy shit going on behind the scenes
1: ah uh, that sounds interesting it's funny you bring that up because i was just like we started next generation season three recently like yep. we got through the first three episodes. Episodes. And I was just, I love to watch Star Trek bloopers on YouTube. Yeah. Because they just brighten my day. And I found like like clips from conventions where like Gates McFadden talks about how she got fired after the first season. Yep. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know that. So I'll definitely check this documentary out.
0: Yeah. No, it's a—it's really good. And it's kind of fun the way they did it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes was just absolutely insane. Mm. Watch that. I rewatched Empire of Dreams, which is like an almost two hour long making of Star the original Star Wars trilogy mm. uh, that's a really good one and then after that I had to go back and I had to go watch Empire and Return of the Jedi right right because you know I also started started or I picked back up reading one of the books I have on censorship and comics and I was specifically on the chapter discussing Friedrich Wortham's mm. kind of him not just with in relation to the Senate hearings but him in a little bit more totality mm-hmm. and they make an interesting argument that it wasn't so much he was against comics as it was he, he believed that the environment as a whole had an impact on juvenile delinquency. So comic books were a part of that, right. that environment, but it wasn't just either a, per, a very personal problem or it wasn't a family problem. It was also there were environmental factors. Sure. Which... which at the time, it was a very controversial idea mm-hmm. in psychiatry. I think now is much less so much more accepted. But I still have to go back to the fact that the argument that Wortham presented, although his ideas may have been okay in terms of that environmental factors influence people and juvenile delinquency and things, but his, his method and his research was garbage.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely.
0: And even to an extent, his methodology wasn't entirely flawed in that, in his idea of the the clinical method that he referred to where you have to look at not just a very you know narrowly defined questionnaire but you have to look at the person as, as an entirety to properly diagnose. Mm-hmm. And I can again I can believe that. You know that because the brain is an organ you have to look at the person's physical condition, you have to look at you know stressors from outside from inside to get a proper diagnosis. But then he never quantified any of that, never had any proper data. It was all anecdotal and that just that doesn't work. Not at all. You know. Especially because if he had used quantifiable evidence, it would have shown that comics didn't have the effect he claims they had.
1: Right. It's, it's so funny when, like, even researchers can fall victim to this. Is like if you stake your reputation on a claim and then go out to try and prove it, you have an incentive to ignore data that contradicts your initial claim rather than going out there and going with the question of, is this actually true, rather than I'm going out to prove something.
0: Well, and again, I think he's right in, in that outside stressors can have an impact on especially children and juvenile delinquency mm-hmm. and you got to keep in mind that one of the things that Wortham really made his reputation on was used as evidence in brown versus board of education is mm-hmm. that that segregation had a deleterious effect on on students mm-hmm. and their ability to learn in the development mm-hmm. but again it's just he had no no evidence to go to back up his claim with comics mm-hmm. so I, I need to look into some more of his research Mm -hmm. but it's really interesting that someone who i think from an overall perspective i can get behind his theories the specifics of what he was what he was getting at was just so off yeah so that that's been interesting
1: also some good news star trek online found my galaxy class ship
0: hooray
1: yeah and it was really just my fault because i didn't know (laughs) what the hell an overflow pack was ah and it was sitting in the overflow pack
0: i mean I, i i told you like I've had issues before with Star Trek online and almost inevitably they've been user error
1: yeah i was like just look i was like where is it cuz i'll say the one thing this game's got so many buttons and tabs and it does and it's just super overwhelming so i'm like where the where is this i'm clicking like everything i can n- notice I just didn't notice the overflow tab.
0: Yeah, although, to be fair, you are not as familiar with MMOs as I am. I've gotten a no, little, bit, I've gotten a little gotten bit more used terrible. to that kind of thing. Right.
1: So. Yeah, MMOs, not my thing. But but now that I got my Galaxy Clash ship, I'm about to soup it up and kick the crap out of a bunch of stuff. Nice. All
0: right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head over to ThereforeGeek.com. Check out our blog posts on our podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. <laughs> so once again, I'm Andrew. I'm your deuter. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.